Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, November 8th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. How are things going, Alex? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So what's news? Like, what's been going on? Uh, this is obviously a busy time of year, but what have you been up to, and what, what are you seeing on the site? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been busy on the site with interview invites. Um, Wharton, obviously, um, MIT Sloan, sort of the, the last big guns to sort of release interview invites on, on a particular date. Um, but we're still getting plenty of invites rolling out from schools that sort of trickle them out, as you, as you might call it. So, you know, the likes of Stanford and Haas over on the West Coast and a variety of other schools are still doing that. So, yeah, um, plenty of activity, Graham. Yeah, and the big thing was that um, we recorded a podcast about Wharton's team-based discussion that aired uh, last week. And, you know, obviously, if you're interviewing at Wharton, that's kind of must-listen stuff. We broke down this year's prompt and and talked through, you know, exactly how you want to navigate that type of interview. So that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so tune into that if you're, you know, obviously applying to or, or interviewing, obviously, at Wharton. So that'll be good. Yeah, I thought, quite honestly, Graham, I thought it was a pretty good episode, too. I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, quite informative, if I may say so yeah. <laughs> myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is we need, um, if you're listening to this, we need your help big time. Uh, we only do this twice a year, and it's really vital to our being able to provide, you know, lots of great content and everything um, to our users. But we, we run a couple of surveys each year where we try to take the pulse of people applying or in the spring, people have been accepted to business school. And so we're now running our fall survey and you can go to it just by going to bit.ly forward slash CA fall 2021 survey. That's all lowercase and 2021 is not spelled out. It's 2021. <laughs> um, so that's CA fall 2021 survey. Um, so take the survey if you can. Um, it just gives us so much insight into what you all are up to as applicants and, and helps us to um, create great content and, and share with partner schools, um, you know, key information about how applicants uh, travel through this process. So check that out. Alex, I don't know if you've seen, we put it up on the site the other day. Any particular themes you're trying to tease out from this survey, Graham? Uh, yeah, we're actually asking a lot of questions about um, test waivers, about events, like what, how people want to get information about schools, and also about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So just questions about, yeah, how people um, are, you know, kind of assessing different programs and deciding where to apply. So should be a lot of fun. We'll see how it goes. We'll leave it in the field for a couple of weeks here, but please fill it out as soon as you can. Um, and yeah, that'll be fun. And then speaking of the website, Alex, we ran class profile uh, sort of um, summaries on MIT and Carnegie Mellon. And I know we've been doing this for the last you know handful of weeks. So I'll, I'll go down the fun kind of counting stats on these two programs. So for MIT, um, the GPA, average GPA for the incoming class is a 3.6, GMAT score 730. Um, for GRE, they did something very interesting, which is they just gave a range for each section. So I kind of added up the two sections, the lows and the highs, and we get a range of total scores that could be anywhere from 315 to 337. Although I encourage people to take that with a grain of salt, because I just literally added them up and I know that that's not how they technically are doing it. Um, but it's a pretty wide range, as you can see. Um, and also keep in mind, MIT did allow some uh, test waivers. So there are some people who applied there, presumably who got in without a test. They don't tell us how many. 
Yeah, as you say, that's pretty slick on MIT's part. We can't compare their their, their average GMAT to their average GRE. <laughs> ah, very, very smart school. Yeah, very interesting just decision there because they do provide a range on the GMAT um, and, a, and a median, but they didn't do that for GRE. Uh, the class is 44% women, 43% international. So those are great numbers. And, and 23% of US citizens are um, underrepresented minorities. So um, that's MIT. Then we've got uh, Carnegie Mellon who posted their stats and we did a breakdown of that on the site. And again, just some of the fun facts and figures. GPA was a 3.4, uh, GMAT 6.90. They don't offer any GRE figures, um, and they also don't offer any waivers, period. So everyone who got in has taken a test. They also state that they prefer the GMAT. They're one of the few schools that will come out and say that. So um, that might be why they don't have a lot of GRE <laughs> scores and they don't report an average on GRE. Um, they have 34% international in their class and 44% of their U.S. citizens are minorities. 21% uh, of the class is female. So that's kind of Carnegie Mellon. What was um, the percent female, Graham? 21%. So it's a lower number than, you know, obviously MIT has a higher percentage. But yeah, yeah it's... Um, Probably the lowest percent of all top schools, would you say? I don't know, actually. That's a, I think you're, it's certainly, you know, towards the tail end of that, you know, the, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I would, you know, I huh. have to wonder why that is, if it's because, you know, on the one hand, MIT is a tech, kind of has this sort of techie reputation much in the way that um, Carnegie Mellon University does. So we can't say that it's just that. I don't know. There could be a number of factors. Um, Pittsburgh versus Boston? Maybe. Yeah, that's possible too. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but so that was, those are those stats. Um, the other thing we did is we ran a real humans piece on Harvard Business School. So we profiled a whole bunch of current students there. Those are always fun. So you can read that on the website. And we also um, did a rundown of NYU Stern's employment report. And this is is really interesting, Alex, because you know they have a median. I don't want to hear this, Greg. All these guys make way more money than I do. <laughs> I know, me too, right? They they're 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 making. Let's see, median base salary for the class is one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars a year. The median signing bonus was thirty five thousand dollars a year. These are both records um, for Stern. And within three months of graduation, 95% of graduates had accepted a job offer. So pretty um, stellar statistics. We also, they broke down kind of um, where people went. It's like 35% to financial services, 31% to consulting, and 19% to tech. Um, and then they gave us some stats on location. So 95% of graduates um, who got jobs landed them in North America, and 75% in the Northeast, um, and then 12% out West. So that's just some interesting facts and figures there. Alex, I know we talked about this before we came on air, but I think that sort of backs up a, a thesis and a, a something we always try to push on this show. Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, I mean, geography is really important, right? So New uh, Stern, obviously, in, 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 in New York, Northeast, huge gravity pull for folks in terms of where, where they get their jobs afterwards. Um, really, really important. If you, if you want to work in the Northeast after your MBA with those kind of numbers, Graham, Stern's got to be a terrific option. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very interesting to see how, yeah, that sort of, like you said, that sort of gravitational pull. Um, and we see that with other schools too, even the Stanfords and others of the world. So it's, it's impressive. Um, 
Let's see, other housekeeping items. We've got this really great event coming up next week on, uh, well, actually, no, I guess when this podcast airs, it'll be in a couple of days that the event we're doing is happening because it's happening on November 10th. So that's this Wednesday at noon Eastern. We're sitting down with admissions representatives from Berkeley, Wharton, Columbia, Tepper, Booth, Yale and Darden, and it's all about deferred enrollment. So if you are a college junior or senior thinking of applying to business school and locking in your slot for an MBA before you go off and work for a couple of years, um, this is a do not miss kind of event. Um, Alex, no one told me that Yale and Darden were, I know like the past couple of weeks I've been mentioning Berkeley and Wharton, Columbia, Tepper, Booth, but apparently Yale and Darden are joining us too. And that, that they were kind of recent um, entries, I guess, or additions. So really cool to have so many top schools sitting down with us to talk about deferred enrollment. Yeah. I mean, schools are really pushing this avenue, right? Deferred enrollment. So yeah, um, so yeah, no, it's great to see that we're getting great participation from the top programs. Yeah. And you can sign up for that event at bit.ly forward slash CA deferred enrollment. I'll put it in the podcast episode description um, so that people can jump over there and sign up. Uh, but yeah, it's in just a couple of days time. Uh, other than that, I think we should get into the wiretaps portion, Alex. I did want to remind people they can always reach out um, to, to you and me by writing an email to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps and it will find its way to Alex and myself. And we'll try to uh, answer any questions you have or, you know, do, do whatever's needed. So feel free to reach out. Um, Alex, anything else before we dive in? No, let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So our first entry is an apply wire entry uh, for a candidate who wants to start school next fall. And they've got uh, Tuck, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Wharton, and Yale on their list. Um, this is a female candidate. She's been working as an executive recruiter uh, at Google, um, has done a number of other things that led her to that as well that are quite interesting. And she wants to do consulting or tech after business school. And she's got you know, Deloitte, McKinsey, and, and Google uh, on her target list. GRE score is a uh, 331. Her uh, GPA from undergrad is a 3.47. She's got five years of work experience located in New York and mentions that she's a biracial female, half Indian, half white. Um, she also um, sadly is a, you know, underwent some pretty difficult stuff as a kid. She says she's a survivor of adolescent sexual abuse and is on the board of a nonprofit that provides therapy and educational programs to adolescent girls who've experienced sex trafficking or sexual abuse. So, um, you know, pretty interesting background in the sense that she's involved with that, um, obviously for her extracurricular kind of portion. Um, she went to Georgetown undergrad and majored in econ and, and comp sci. Um, so that gives you some context of the type of institution she attended. And she's got a, um, you know, a, a lot of experience in people management. So she worked at a, a major um, headhunting, you know, kind of executive placement firm for several years before moving on um, to Google to do kind of in-house executive recruitment for them. And she asked us a number of questions, Alex. So what I think we could do as we go through this is we'll just try to um, tackle her questions. But I guess before we get to that, I wanted to hear your sort of overall take when you see someone, you know, kind of from the HR domain with these kind of numbers, like, what are you thinking when you see this? Yeah, don't often see this, Graham. No. Um, quite honestly, great numbers in terms of GRE is obviously very good, 331. Yeah. Um, 347, we talked about this before we came on air. I mean, econ slash comp sci, um, you know, her, her, her GPA, is, it's a little bit higher than the average GPA for Tepper, for example. So it must be a pretty decent GPA. 
um, you know, referring to the counting stats you gave us a little bit earlier in terms of Tapper's class profile. So, yeah. I mean, my point being, I don't think she should worry about this GPA um, that, that she's expressing is a potential concern because it's a decent GPA from probably quite a rigorous program as well as having a great, great GRE score to back it up um, with a 167 on the quant side. So, um, so, so I think that, that stuff's fine, Graham. Yeah. The, the whole sort of personal background, um, obviously a victim of, of adolescent sexual abuse, as she describes, and as a result of that, obviously she's had to overcome a lot of stuff, but she's now on a board of a, a non-profit that provides therapy and education programs to adolescent girls um, who have experienced sex traffic and sexual abuse. So, so to me, that, that says obviously this, this early um, trauma has, has obviously had a, a profound impact. Um, and she's, I'm not saying she's doing something about it, but yeah, she's doing something about it in her out-of-work activity, um, which I think is super strong because she, again, she had a little bit of concern that she's not active in her EC so much. But if she's on the board and there's some impact there, I think that is absolutely fantastic. Um, she's working in, or, or she works in sort of um, um, con- on the consulting side of executive search or something like that, and then moved into Google um, for a particular role in um, executive search, i.e. hiring um, or, or seeking out folks for, for, for top spots at Google. So I've got to think that the HR side of her career is also very strong, Graham. Um, so... I think the magic happens in terms of how she threads it all together um, in terms of her, her sort of goals um, post-MBA um, and, and, and goals going forward. Um, and I think if, if they can sort of touch on this sort of, um, the, the sort of volunteer activities as a result of her childhood drama, uh, trauma, um, whilst also sort of obviously touching on 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 her her, her career um, evolution to date, and when when I when I talk about this trauma episode, Graham, I'm thinking in terms of um, you know things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is obviously becoming more and more important in the workplace. Um, that does that include um, engaging and embracing folks that have been victims of abuse um, and how to bring those folks into the workforce productively. Yeah. Um, it just seems to me that there might be a really interesting thread there, but I'll turn it over to you, Graham, because I might have just gone completely off track. No, no, I think um, the other thing is at minimum creating workplaces that that do not foster any kind of abusive behavior or, you know, or kind of sexual discrimination or any of that stuff too, right? So there's, yeah, yeah I, I feel like there's, I mean, one thing I like about her is her career is super consistent and focused and it's focused in an area that um, is obviously of increasing import um, and, but yet still somewhat underrepresented in the MBA applicant pool. So she's got that to her credit. She did ask us four very specific questions. And I think we've nailed one of them, which was that she's worried about her GPA being below average at the likes of a Stanford. And I'm not worried about that at all for the reasons you said. So we'll kind of put that one to bed. Um, She also was worried about, like you said, having enough activities. And I agree with you. 
Um, she's on the board of a nonprofit and I presume she does some other things too. And I don't mean formal, um, you know, spooning out soup at a soup kitchen type stuff, but she must have some other interests and activities that she does that make her, um, you know, a a well-rounded individual, whether that's, you know, um, scuba diving or yoga or making her own sushi. I have no idea, right? I'm just throwing things out there. Um, but they're probably things that she does. And so I'm not worried about that question that she asked either. Um, the two that I think we need to tackle are she's worried that she doesn't really have any formal awards. Um, many of you listening know schools ask if you've received any awards and there's a whole section to fill out on the application. And, you know, sometimes people will put like, well, I graduated summa cum laude or, you know, different academic awards. So I would encourage her to think about whether anything happened, uh, while she was in university. Um, she has indicated she's gotten some awards, kind of peer bonuses at Google. Um, and so I would mention those as well, but this this is not a section of the application that makes or breaks your candidacy or that, you know, schools are saying, oh, look at this person, no awards, therefore we're not even going to look at the file or, or something like that. So I, I wouldn't focus on that. I think, you know, put in what you what you can come up with um, and probably leave it at that. How many awards do you have, Graham? You know, it's funny, when I applied, I had to really stretch to kind of come up with, with some, I think I was on the dean's list a couple times in undergrad, and then I... Um, I can't remember. Oh, I was, I actually applied for and was selected, um, for this sort of like scholarship to go be an intern at the Museum of Modern Art. And and that was like a real competitive process. And so I kind of turned that into like an award. I was awarded the scholarship for this, you know, I can't remember, it had a name of the person who funded it. So you had to, you have to get creative and think about like, oh, you know, how did you, because technically it was just a summer internship that I applied for and got, but it was, you know, this huge competitive process and you got money. So I sort of figured, well, it's kind of an award, you know, so, um, but yeah, I didn't have much beyond that unless we're counting like, you know, going on national public radio because of the band or something, but that wasn't really an award, you know, didn't get any Grammys or anything like that. (laughs) Um, so, but yeah, that's, that's that one. But the other one that I thought I would turn over to you is she asks us about Stanford's first essay and she's kind of struggling how to tell, uh, she says a compelling, profound story while showing leadership impact. So what were your thoughts on that? I wanted you to ask me how many awards I got, Graham. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you've had so many. I didn't want to use up the whole episode going through them because you're a published oh author and <laughs> horseman. And, yeah, I mean, you've done, because you know. I published the books. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a publisher and author, right? Yes, um, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I did get an award at Wharton. I was very proud of that um, at the time. But I think your point, though, is, um, yeah, awards are nice and they, they sort of they, they can, can kind of illustrate um, um, success or... or, or you know, being victorious in a competitive process, whatever it might be. But but I think much more important is the substance of your work and sort of showing impact and so on and so forth. And there are just some work environments that aren't giving awards out. And there are some work environments that give them out five days a week. Yeah, totally. Um, and Adcom are going to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are definitely shifting into a culture of more, um, let's just award you for showing up for work type <laughs> attitude yes. but don't I, I i agree with you graham she absolutely shouldn't worry about that having 21 peer bonuses that sounds like your peers must really like what you're doing so so that's got to be very good yeah agreed so what about stanford's first essay which for our listeners who don't know the the question is what matters most to you and why um and she's struggling to kind of weave something together on that yeah, I mean, you could talk about this a little bit more than me because you've talked directly to Stanford's Adcom and really pushed them on on this question. So it'd be good to hear your thoughts. But I, I do remember you sort of expressing that one thing that they really want to um, get from, 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 from this essay is true authenticity. I don't try to shoehorn in 
um, something that you think will work well in the assay. If it's not truly authentic to who you are, why you're, you're getting, getting the MBA, what really does mean most to you and why? And I think in, in this candidate's case, Graham, I mean, I don't know what, what sort of theme she's going to use throughout the application, but if it starts off with um, her, her child trauma and sort of that sort of experience sort of is, is weaved through the pathway that she's, she's um, ploughed um, and the successes that she's had and also ties it potentially to um, this notion of, 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 of recruiting for, you know, with, with DIE um, issues, and, you know, all related to that. There has to be a, a really interesting narrative, I would think, Graham. Yeah. And the only thing I would say is a recommendation for her is that she probably could go back and listen to the podcast that we recorded with Kirsten Moss, who's the director of admissions at Stanford, because in that episode, Kirsten gives some good feedback on how to approach that. And there's also, we did an essay event with Kirsten and a bunch of other schools that I think is online. You can watch it on our website where I pushed her on this question. And she said, make a list of things that have happened in your life that are important um, from you know birth to, to date. And see if, you know, a handful of those events start to crystallize around a theme about something that matters to you and then write the essay and share those stories, you know? So I know that I've made it sound a lot easier than it is, but that's probably a good starting point. And, you know, I think you've given her some great ideas. So I, yeah, I think lots to say on this candidacy, but I I feel confident that she's going to land at a top program for sure. Yeah. I, I think there's potentially a very strong candidate here. So best of luck to her. Yeah, agreed. Um, thanks for that post. Thanks for picking it out, Alex. And let's move on um, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another candidate that you grabbed from Applywire who are looking to you know start school next fall. Um, they've got six schools on their target list, and those schools are Cornell, Emory, Michigan, Kellogg, Booth, and UNC Keenan-Flagler. Uh, they've been working um, in tech, pre-business school, and they're looking to get into either consulting or tech after. They actually indicate that Bain is a specific uh, target of theirs post-MBA. Another whopping uh, result on the GRE, 331, and their GPA is a 3.7. They've been working for seven years, and they're located in West Africa. Um, they don't really care where they land post-MBA, so they're wide open there. Um, and they indicate that they it sounds like they did some work in financial services for about five years. Um, my guess is in kind of a you know big four type environment, but they don't specify. Um, and they indicate now they're with uh, they're doing internal strategy at a tech firm. Uh, and they said that they do some extracurriculars, including um, that sounds like they've got a social impact fund that they've raised for underserved communities in their country. Um, they volunteer in community projects in terms of creating infrastructure development. Um, and, you know, they do some diversity education and um, it sounds like they're, they're really um, active in terms of ECs and, you know, they have a lot of impact with those ECs as well. Um, so, you know, we don't have a lot of other details on this candidacy, um, but I wondered if you had any feedback. I mean, they, they did mention that they're a huge fan of the podcast. Um, and so that's always nice to hear and appreciate that. Um, and they said that some of these schools they've applied to already in round one. So I had, I mean, I had one big thought on this, but I want to hear what you have to say first. <laughs> yeah, our thoughts agree, Graham. I mean, obviously, <laughs> like you say, we don't know enough about this candidate in terms of the detail. 
Um, it, it is frankly a reflection. We didn't have a lot of apply wire entries last week, Graham. So I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll just hat tip to folks to to get those entries in. To to not not that this isn't a good entry in terms of they love the podcast, but it <laughs> it, it, it would have been good to bring this entry to, for discussion once we got a few more comments in and get a bit more feedback. But anyway, the point being, um, I wonder if this um, candidate's aiming high enough. Um, because if you've got a 331 GRE, a 3.7 GPA, and let's just assume it's from a good school, um, so above average GPA for most schools, above average GRE, seven years of experience, financial services, and then going into internal strategy at a tech firm. If, if these are good experiences, which obviously on the surface we don't absolutely know, but I'm guessing if you can transfer from one to the other, you must be doing well. Impact, impact, impact. That's very good. And then, you know, if they're also um, doing stuff outside of work in terms of, you know, uh, they're, they're, as they say, most of my, my ECs are impact driven. So let's just take them at their word. That's fantastic. So, so that all sounds good, Graham. Then you hear that they're from West Africa, which, you know, African um, candidates are not overrepresented in the pool by a long stretch. All we know is their post-MBA goal is to go work at Bain, which is fantastic. I'd really be interested in what their long-term goal is and, and sort of, uh, you know, if it is to come back to, to, to Africa to make a larger impact in, in, a, in, a, in an emerging market rather than remaining in the US, which is, is, uh, would, wouldn't, wouldn't give them so much uh, runway for impact, I don't think. Um, I, I, I think this, this, these are the ingredients of an M7 candidate. The, the question is, is, is the substance backing up the sort of the, the counting stats and the surface stats that we're seeing? And if that's the case, I mean, they have targeted um, Booth and Kellogg among several other schools, um, which are top 16, top 20. Um, but I think they, they might want to go a bit more top heavy. I select one or two more M7, maybe one, what, at least one out of the Harvard Stanford Wharton bracket. Um, and, and take a bit of a flyer. I don't think they're being ambitious enough is my point, Graham. Yeah, and I don't know. We don't have the full details, but I wondered like, oh, are they hoping to get scholarship dollars? Yeah, so they're kind of thinking that possibly, they should. But yeah. yeah, but my first thought was, well, if they're going to work at Bain, um, the scholarship's not going to matter as much and, and they need to go to a program that's most likely to place them at Bain. And so then you get into the idea of, yeah, M7 or, you know, the very best um, schools always give you the best uh, odds of doing that. And so I don't, you know, yeah, that was the one thing I wondered is, are they aiming high enough? Or there's some things that we don't know, don't have enough details on in their candidacy that, you know, um, make it so that they need to cast a wider net here or something. But I do agree. Um, yeah. And I, I was also thinking about what's the international footprint of the programs on their target list? Like, do they do these programs have alumni across the globe? Um, and, and that's another thing you often see at the very top end of the rankings. You see larger, more international networks. Um, you know, they don't have any non-US schools on their list, but I, I couldn't help but think, gee, seven years of experience, they want to work in consulting, like where's INSEAD? You know, <laughs> like that would be a, a normal one to consider too. Yeah. But in any event, yeah, I just, um, I guess it would be good to know what's happened to them in the first round and whether or not they've gotten positive you know, signaling in terms of interview invitations, because if they haven't, then we'll say, okay, there might be something going on with the candidacy. And so maybe they have cast the right sort of net here. But if they're getting interviews everywhere and everything's going gangbusters, then you might say, gee, drop an app into, you know, Wharton or Harvard or INSEAD or whatever in the, in the next round too, and see where the chips fall. 
Um, but yeah, again, that just, you know, that was the first thing that jumped out at me on this one. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. They're a huge fan of the podcast. So hopefully they listen, um, they, they listen to this, get back to us and shed a little bit more light in terms of where they're at with their, with their applications and, and what their sort of long-term goal is, what, what their thinking is in terms of, of their school selection at this point. Right. And I did, I forgot to mention on the first candidate, now that we're talking about school selection, she specifically stated, and I thought this was interesting, that she wanted to leave New York for the, for the MBA, mm. that she lives there now, may live there after, and so wanted to have like two years away. And so that shaped her target list to some extent. I just wanted to mention that. So people always have different reasons, you know, for these lists. And I was thinking about this guy, like maybe, you know, maybe he wants to be in a smaller market or in a really close-knit community, because um, all the schools on his list are schools that I think of as having really terrific kind of student communities and, um, you know, just a real collaborative um, atmosphere. So that's just something else that could be driving it. But hopefully he'll leave us a comment, let us know. Um, but yeah, really appreciate that, uh, you know, and, and yeah, best of luck as they go through the process. Yeah, I don't know if we know their gender, do we? I don't know. Actually, now that you say that, we don't. I don't. So I was making this stupid assumption that it's a guy. So yeah. it could be a guy or a gal. Um, yeah. But either way, um, you know, best of luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So this is another apply wire entry, and this one differs in that the candidate is not applying until round one of next year. So they're not trying to head off to school this fall or anything. They're going to go, um, uh, you know, they're going to apply next year and go the following. So uh, six schools on the target list. Those schools are Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Tuck, Emory, Georgetown, and Yale. Um, this person's been working in tech. They want to stay in that domain, and they have um, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Tesla as their targets post-MBA. They have a, a GMAT score of 760 and a GPA of 2.9. They've been working for three and a half years, located in Miami, and they indicate that they came from a top 50 undergraduate school, but the GPA suffered early on in college, which is why they have a, a low overall GPA. They've done some transcript repair by taking two classes for credit and getting A's um, in, in the interim. Uh, they also are currently doing a, uh, I guess they completed a leadership rotational program at a top tech company in the US and they've been promoted every year um, since starting. Um, they've also gotten some awards <laughs> in the role. Um, they do some volunteering with underrepresented minorities as a mentor and they wanna work in marketing leadership at a tech company post MBA. Um, they're wondering if they have the right set of target schools. And, you know, they also had some concern about this GPA issue and whether they have done enough in getting a 760 on the GMAT or, you know, what do they need to do to be competitive? And you had some back and forth with them on the site. So I'll let you take it from here and tell me, what do you think of this candidacy and what did you guys talk about? Yeah, I like, one, one thing I really like about this, this candidate is obviously they're applying next season, not this season. And so they're thinking ahead. They're being very proactive. Um, they have this one glaring weak spot, right? Mm. So let, let's just, um, you know, remove everything else from the calculus. It looks like their work experience is very good. Um, I, I, um, that's good. I'm assuming their ECs are okay. I, I, for, to be honest, I, I, I forget looking into that in detail. But they volunteer weekly with um, un underrepresented minorities in, in, me in a mentorship capacity. So let's assume that sort of hits the standard. Um, their, their GMAT score is absolutely spectacular, um, and so on and so forth. So um, the, the, the big weakness is the GPA. So what does that mean? Well, you could say you can argue, well, actually, because the GMAT's 760 
Um, they're smart, and there's no argument there. They are super smart. The, the issue with the imbalance of a low GPA and a very high GMAT is that, yeah, they're smart only when they're motivated to do well, right? <laughs> um, that's sort of the, the, the quick reaction that an adcom would have. So, okay, they've done a bit of transcript repair. I like that. They've got a couple of A's, um, so that's very good. Um, but to me, Graham, they're, they're, for one thing, we don't know why their GPA suffered early, um, so it would be good to get a little bit of that context. Um, so it could have been a family circumstance. It could have been switching majors. It could have been a variety of different reasons, but we don't know that. So they need to explain this in the optional essay. But the, to, to me, Graham, if they're, if they're applying next year, they've, they've got a couple of A's already. So they've done some transcript repair. They've got the super GMAT. Many candidates would think, you know, it's fine. I've done the legwork. I've, I've done the work here, um, I'm, I'm good to go. I would say that might be correct, but why not just do something else? You've got the time to do it. Do, an, do the MBA math or HBS court, whatever it is, just continue to show ADCOM that you are absolutely motivated to show the best version of yourself in this MBA application. Um, yeah. And I say that because at the end of the day, Graham, Again, I'm wondering if this candidate is aiming high enough um, in terms of their target section. And they actually asked us what schools should they be targeting. But they've got a, a nice mix of top 16 to top 20. Now, if you combine a super strong GMAT with, with really good solid, uh, you know, good, good work experience and good out of work activities, um, I think you should be looking top 16 M7 rather than top 16 top 20. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why you just continue to do everything that you can to to really increase the overall profile. So MBA math might well do that, Graham. Yeah, that's fair. I, that was something that I had thought of, too, which was, yeah, keep bolstering that transcript with additional evidence of, you know, strong academic ability, because the GMAT, as we know, is terrific. But it's different to spend three hours in a test getting a great score versus a whole semester in a class or four years in undergrad, right? So, yeah. so that's important. The other thing I wanted to point out is that um, she is not an underrepresented minority. She's an Asian American, but she wants to apply via the Consortium for Graduate um, Management Study, which is a program um, that is for URMs and their allies, um, if you can show a, a long history of uh, being an ally. And, and so all of her extracurriculars, or at least one of the main extracurriculars she does, supports that. Um, she does mentorship and, and helps that community get access to tech and business. Um, so she, you know, she's going to apply to some schools via the consortium. Uh, for our listeners, the consortium is great in that you can apply to multiple schools sort of a, in one fell swoop with this sort of common application type thing. You have to do some other they're, they're little, you know, things you need to do individually for each school, um, but it's a really good way to apply. Uh, unfortunately, most of the M7 schools, if not all, or I, I think most of them are not part of it. Um, you may know this better than me, Alex. But I think I, one I, or two have joined. Yeah, Maybe Columbia? So, I yeah, I, I think Columbia is part of it, yeah. So, um, but, so she's going to apply that way to some schools, but then, yeah, for the rest of the top schools, which she should be probably looking at, she can um, go the, the regular route. I will say that as an overrepresented, um, you know, candidate in the pool, um, you know, she's going to face some battle there too. And so she'll want to apply early. Um, and it seems like that's the plan, you know, round one next season. But 
you know, it'd be great to see MBA math or some additional evidence of her academic aptitude. I also made a note to myself that I'd love to see her original transcript from college, because if it turns out that it was really just, oh, a, a really bad semester or first year, and then everything else is really stellar, including a lot of what I would call MBA foundational type courses and quantitative subjects or something, I'd feel a lot better. Whereas right now I don't have a clear sense. Right. You know, I know she has a two nine, but I don't know the full story. So I'd be want to, you know, I'd want to look at that. Um, you know, also I'd want to know is it university number forty nine or, <laughs> or university number one? You know, she said top fifty, so we don't really know. Obviously, that probably means somewhere between forty and fifty. <laughs> if it's top fifty, Graham, it's in the forties, not yeah, number exactly. one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, it'd be good to know, and and yeah, again, just how she did and stuff. So. Um, but again, I think, yeah, aim high, go round one and and have a backup plan for round two or something if, if need be. But I, I, I think she's going to be okay. I think she can overcome. This is, you know, we always talk about this. If you have a low GPA, best way to overcome it is via an alternative transcript, whether it's MBA math, HBS core online or other courses, plus an absolutely stellar GMAT result or GRE. So she's done that, you know, she can, and she can go the rest of the way. She's got time. So I feel good about this. Very good, very good. Best of luck to Megan. I think that's her username anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was her handle. Yeah. So um, in any event, uh, thanks for picking these out, Alex. I think we had some good lessons about like the importance of awards or the lack of importance of awards and um, school selection, you know, overcoming a low GPA, all these classic things that um, candidates need to know. Um, so thanks for picking these out as always. And we'll do it all again next week. And uh, yeah, everyone, thanks for you know rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen and for just spreading the word to others in the applicant community. Alex and I really appreciate it. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.